Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from a very warm and sunny Portland. Luke Diebold. Hello from Australia. And our special guest today is Ariel. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you. Hello from Paris with a gray, uh, gray sky. I'll take some of that. That'd be nice right now. Well, particularly with rain. I don't know much with gray. At least it'd be nice to have some rain. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, cool. Ariel, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, uh, yes, for sure. So my name is Ariel. I'm uh, based in Paris. I'm a French developer, a front-end developer to be specific, and I'm 30 years old. So you're really young. <laughs> I would, it depends who, who is asking. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say that's a great age. I'm a big fan myself, but uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve might disagree. Oh, sometimes I wish I was 30. You just need some mutable state, Steve, and you can set age to 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Ariel, what brought you into front-end development? How did you get started there? Oh, so before I started front-end specifically, I was, uh, so I learned uh, code because I was a uh, Japanese anime fan uh, when I was like 15 years or something. 15 years old and wanted to create a website. I just typed, how do we create websites? And I found some stuff, softwares like uh, Dreamweaver at the time in 2007. <laughs> that so, brings uh, back some of, memories. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, kind of old. I don't even know if people use Dreamweaver uh, these days, but uh, at the time it was uh, used a lot. And I tried a lot of software and then one guy just told me, you need to learn code. And I just started learning code like that. Then high school was finished and I went to uni and learned more more and more code. And, and yeah, that's how it's all started. It's funny, my sons, uh, I was talking to one of the comp sci computer science teachers at my son's high school a couple of years ago, and they were using Dreamweaver, but only as like a code editor. You know, not necessarily all the, you know, what Dreamweaver is usually used for is just as a something they had free and they used it as a code editor. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking it up because I used Dreamweaver as well uh, when I was younger to to start getting involved in web development. And it definitely still exists. And it looks like it's got some nice features, but I don't know if it would have any integration with tools like Vue or React or uh, TypeScript even. It looks more yeah, focused I'm, on I'm the, the pure HTML and CSS itself. Yeah, I think that's their editing line and I don't think it has changed. At some point in 2011, I think, they brought out something pretty similar to Dreamweaver, but more... I would say more modern with uh, JavaScript and stuff. Uh, it was, uh, I forgot the name, but I think it was something like Adobe Adobe Animations or something. It was kind of like a Flash alternative. Uh, so it was a mix between Flash and Dreamweaver to make modern HTML, CSS, and JavaScript interfaces. It was kind of cool, but it didn't go very far. One day we'll have the, the perfect tool 
that's able to do all the visual stuff and all the code stuff, and it will just work and it will be amazing. <laughs> but until that day, we have VS Code. Cool. So what are what brought you into Vue specifically as you were as you were exploring web development? So basically, I think when I started, so I was doing a bit of, uh, in university, I was doing a bit of everything, PHP, MySQL, some uh, JavaScript with jQuery at the time, because that's what was going on, a bit of Silverlight, a bit of uh, AS3. And at some points, I did a lot of WordPress, and I, was, I became freelance after, after school, after my graduation. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I went to London, started seeing other kind of uh, technologies over there. And people were using a lot of AngularJS, which I loved a lot. I had uh, used Backbone for some time and I discovered AngularJS so version 1, 1.2 or something. And it was really, really a, a game changer at the time. Like you could, I mean, it was kind of mixed feelings because AngularJS was ripping apart everything I learned, which was to not do JavaScript inside HTML templates. <laughs> you know how when you learn programming at first, they always say, separate separate your JavaScript from your HTML and from your CSS. And AngularJS was kind of ripping all this apart and mixing everything all together. But I really loved it. And I, I discovered all the issues it had with the time, performance issues. and uh, And I felt like I don't know for you guys if some of you used AngularJS or not, but oh yes, uh, <laughs> I felt like AngularJS was a framework made by backend developers. What I mean by that is that they brought so many concepts that are pure backend concepts, which don't really apply to frontend. I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, things like controllers don't really make sense. I think in the in the front end uh, ecosystem, I would say. So that was kind of weird, but I just got along with the stuff, and I discovered Vue through Laravel. Uh, I was a big Laravel developer at the time, so I did WordPress, Laravel, Angular JS. That was kind of my stack, and Laracast brought out a tutorial with Vue.js. I was like, oh, what's that new framework? I discovered it at the same time of React, and I tried. So the funny story is that I was going to Turkey. And in the plane, I hate doing nothing in the plane, so I usually code in the plane. And uh, I was in going to Turkey, I looked at the React tutorial. And coming back from Turkey to Paris, I looked at the Vue tutorial, and I was like, okay, Vue is better, and that, that's how it's all took. And I think it was in 2014 or something. Yeah, it's funny how, how similar your story is to mine, Ariel. Um, and, I, and I did read your blog post where you were you were comparing Vue and React. We're talking about the breath, breath, best framework and how you talked about how much easier it was to learn Vue. So I, uh, there's a few things you said that just strike me as, as common. So I came from the Drupal world from PHP. That was how I learned PHP actually was there. And when I saw AngularJS come around, I started playing with it and learning it. And at the time it was in Drupal 7, which was prior to Symfony being integrated. And so it was very Drupal. You had to learn it was very functional and you had to learn the Drupal way of doing things, which is different than everything else. <laughs> and I, so I learned J, I learned Angular JS. And then when Drupal 8 came around and incorporated Symphony and object-oriented programming, I recognized a bunch of stuff in there that I learned in Angular, such as controllers and dependency injection and, and so many other things. So it's funny that, yes, they put stuff in Angular JS that they learned from the backend side, but I once I learned them first in Angular and then recognized it when I saw saw them in PHP. But yeah, I learned I played with Angular for a while, and then I I 
never even really looked at React, you know, and tried to learn it like you did. But I got into Vue just because it was it was so simple and, and easy to learn it well. And then I use Laravel with Vue at my current job right now. And so I'm actually living in some Laravel code at the moment. So yeah, it's, it's quite a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I think that's a really popular stack for, for developers to get into Vue is using PHP. I'm actually surprised, as Carl, you, you mentioned that you were coming from WordPress as well as Laravel. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that more developers aren't using Vue in WordPress, considering that Vue is very commonly used in PHP backends, including some with Drupal, I would imagine, but also Laravel very extensively. Have you seen much? With WordPress or or in WordPress? Because to me, there's two different things. And let me illustrate what I mean. So Drupal got drag kicking and screaming eventually full-time into the whole API-first paradigm where instead of your whole you know, having a whole monolith where Drupal is your back end and your front end and your middle and your sides and everything in between, you could create a Drupal back end that gives you all of your content management capabilities, but with a REST API or a GraphQL API and then be consumed by anything else on the front end. In, to me, indicates, and I've seen this done, I saw it done with Angular and I'm sure it could be done with Vue, is you're still using your Drupal front end, but you incorporate the JavaScript into your templates, into your, they're using Twig templates now in Drupal. So that's in versus with, if you see what I'm talking about. So I'm just curious to see what he's talking about with WordPress. Yeah, I think you were talking, Lindsay, about in WordPress, right? Both, but specifically in WordPress, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I started using Vue initially because when I saw Vue, I was like, oh, it looks really like Angular in the sense that it's just pure HTML templates with some attributes which are a bit special written in a different way, but it's still just some basic HTML attributes which was really easy to integrate in any uh, template, uh, whether it's Twig or WordPress templates or any kind of templates rendered on the server with a Django or whatever. And that's how I started using it as more uh, like a kind of jQuery replacement for specific stuff. And I think why people don't use it like that is mainly because most tutorials about Vue that I see at least are directly telling you to use Vue with the CLI and as an SPA. I don't know why. I don't know if it's React. I don't know if it's Angular or I don't know what happens, but at some point in the kind of ecosystem from in the front end ecosystem, SPAs became really like the only thing people should do. I don't know why. Some companies I worked for were like, we need a front end developer and we want to make an SPA. And sometimes I was even telling them, wait, why do you need an SPA? Are you sure that's what's relevant for you? Your kind of your uh, startup needs some SEO and SPAs aren't the best choice for SEO and stuff. And I don't know why. Just people want to make SPAs all the time. It's what and the cool I kids guess, are doing. Yeah, exactly. It's like people want to do like the cool kids and they're like, oh, SPA, let's go SPA for everything. And I guess that's why people don't use, don't see how they can use Vue well, within a template in uh, Symfony or anything. And that's really one thing I like about Vue is that you can really use it in anything because it's just HTML template and Vue will just come on it and start adding some magic, but it's just some HTML. And React, you can't do that with React. And that was what I hated the most about React is that because it's JSX, you can't really put it in a server side that is not Node, I mean, in the server side template, like, uh, like Twig or whatever. Uh, you can't do that. And that was really what made me choose Vue, I think. That's really funny when you think about it because 
React was originally created for these small little widgets on a server-side rendered PHP page. Yeah, exactly. And and now it really that's not its use case in in most situations. Whereas Vue, like you're saying, is it is designed as a progressive framework where you can start with these small little widgets and scale up to a full single page app if you need to. But you're right, you don't necessarily need to use Vue in that way. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that is funny with Vue is that you can really use it in kind of three ways, I would say. I mean, three big uh, categories, which would be like the SPA, where you just talk with some API, whether it's uh, from a custom API with Laravel or some WordPress REST API or whatever. And then when you use it inside the template, just as you said, there, there are two ways to use it because there's the widget way, which is the widget doesn't take any uh, HTML. You just create your components and just put your component as a widget, as a tag, as an HTML tag, anywhere in your, in your app. That's how people use React at first. But with Vue, you have then the third way, which is really write your template directly in, not in a separate file, but directly in your real template, which makes the view more SEO-friendly for regular backend languages. That's what I really like about it, that you can really just use it and put it there and, and that's all. Just go with it like that. And what are some situations where you might want to use just sprinkles of view throughout your application as opposed to building a full-fledged SPA? Are there some like more concrete examples you can give of where you might choose one over the other? Yeah, for sure. I would say me, my the common use case uh, would be WordPress, I guess. I had some, some customers that had WordPress websites and they were relying on jQuery. And then at some point, they did so much customization in their WordPress templates that jQuery became kind of architecture hell, <laughs> if I would say. And so they needed something more structured, something more also modern, I guess. And Vue was the perfect fit for that. And the places where you could use Vue as a widget, you could have just used React or anything else. But those places where you want to use Vue also for the SEO, by that I mean that you want your uh, template to really render at first some real text and leave some view directives, uh, just change the contents later on. That's pretty much the big, the most common use case I have is, uh, I don't know, for example, a, a, a slideshow or something. You want your slideshow to be there, but you don't want your uh, slideshow images or texts to be just the JS file. You want the images and the text to be rendered by the WordPress templates and you just want Vue to come on top of this to create your slideshow. That's just, for example, something I, I often have. Yeah, that's a really good point. Basically, having your everything visible in your HTML template so that Google can crawl it. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're if we're talking about building out these smaller components rather than building out an entire SPA, how would you go about architecting that in your code? Obviously, we're not using the Vue CLI at this point. So how how would you structure your code? to build these reusable components and inject them into your template? Actually, with time, I mean, with my experience going on in time, I changed a lot of times the way I, I used to do that. And it really depends, I guess, on the size of the project. Some projects, you, you can just go you know, with the view CDN or just take the view on your local disk and just create some JS files for each component and, and mount them. But at some point, I also needed to have something way more structured and Vue CLI 3 brought something really amazing, which was that you could export your .view files into web components. And that was really great because I could create 
independent independent components like this and just export them as as view as web components i mean which worked the in the same way natively that view would and that was really really great so that was one way of doing just exporting uh, considering each of the components to be like kind of micro ui i think that's something pretty uh, trendy these days i've not looked it so much but called micro frontends i guess some of you may may have heard about it i've not dig dug inside it too much but i guess i was doing something really similar to that which was each component would be kind of a standalone living thing that i would import in my templates when needed and with the cli what happened was that at some point i was like okay i need to put a lot of different components uh, in the page, sometimes there are encapsulated components that just relies in the view in the .view file, and sometimes they are like uh, renderless components, something which is not so oftenly used, but which is, I guess, more and more known about because of Adam Wathan, who did an, uh, an article about that uh, renderless components, where you you just create some logic in your component and use slots as a template. I started making more and more components like that, and to create an architecture which was which, ha- which has a good developer experience, I started creating a kind of loop. Ah, without without showing images, it's kind of hard to explain. But I would in many places of the app, I would just put a class name, which would be a view a view instance name that would be the same for everyone. Uh, something like I don't know app or view or something, and I would just loop over all of them and instantiate many view instances on each of them. And all the instances would have the, all my competence shared, which would make uh, the whole website or web app to use the competence where it wants uh, at all time. And I don't see, I don't know if it's clear <laughs> by explanation. So it sounds like you have a global object with all of the components. And so whenever you need those components, you can just kind of pluck them out throughout the website. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Like I would create, you know, uh, all the components independently, like as usual. And regular SPA, what you usually do is that you create only one instance, which would mount on a uh, on a div, for example. And what I did now is that instead of creating just one instance that would mount on a div, I would just select all the divs of the current page that has this because I don't want all the page to be a to be a, a view component. And I would loop through each of them and just create an instance for that. So of course it takes more memory, but it's more maintainable uh, so that I can put view only in places uh, where it's needed. It's interesting that you mentioned using uh, the view CLI to create web components, especially since in a recent Twitter post, Evan noted that uh, view 3.2 is including that in the core API of view rather than having it be a requirement of the view CLI. So he's, he's really looking in that direction. And, and he notes the same issue where you, you could have potentially multiple uh, instances of the view framework itself, but if you're if you're tying it all together, then it should be fine at the end of the day, and then you get the benefits of having web components, uh, which you can yeah. just inject into specific points. Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. And on the note of micro front ends, spoilers for the future, we have an upcoming guest who will be talking all about micro front ends, and I put a link in the show notes about using a tool called Single SPA for doing micro front ends with Vue for anyone listening who wants to check that out ahead of time. Yeah, I just discovered this website, Single SPA, I think like two days ago. I didn't I didn't know it before. I just saw it and it seems really interesting. Yeah, one thing I really like about approaching Vue in this way and JavaScript in general is we're not building an entire application just on JavaScript. And granted, a good number of people are just JavaScript developers. My personal projects tend to be purely JavaScript. But 
the the web ecosystem is so much larger than that. It's nice to be able to use JavaScript how it was originally intended to just integrate with other services, integrate with other languages to to augment a website rather than build out the entire website because we get that full flexibility. Like with Laravel or, or WordPress or Drupal, you have the full authentication system that's available to you. You have the, the full flexibility of PHP as a backend. And it, I feel like using JavaScript in that way gives us so much more than just using JavaScript can in some cases. Yeah, that's what I, I think too, because I think that's basically because that's how I learned programming. I started with HTML, CSS, and PHP, then gradually just going up uh, before coming back down to only JavaScript. And what I, I would say, hate is a big word, but if I would say I can only use that word, I don't know any other <laughs> similar word for that. But if, what I hate with SPAs is that uh, it seems like SPAs or even SSR, uh, it seems like for people, it's the only situation, the only solution. And uh, for example, I mean, the Vue.js developer Facebook group. And often, maybe like two years ago, I used to really, really see often some people saying, oh, I'm using Django. How can I use Vue.js? And most of the answers were, uh, when, and when I say most, I mean like maybe 90, 95% of the answers were just create an API and then that's it, create an SPA. And I was like, wait, if that guy already knows how to use Django with templates and stuff, he doesn't have to create a full, you know, full SPA for that. He can just create some components in places where he needs dynamic stuff because he already needs Django. And I feel like it's kind of forcing people to go and learn how to create a full SPA with a router, with Vuex and all those stuff when you already know something that you could use. I mean, Django is, is a very good framework. It always it's, works very well. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I try to tell people. Like, no, you, you aren't, I mean, forced to do SPAs all the time. You aren't forced to do like some SSR with Nuxt and create that API and have two servers. I mean, that's maybe the thing I hate the most would be having an SSR server with nodes and then having a PHP server with Laravel, like creating two servers when from the beginning I could have just used Laravel router and use Vue in places I need. I feel like we're sometimes over-engineering some things that can be simple from day one. And isn't it isn't it nuts that a lot of people in Vue seem to have come from the Laravel world? And I actually had a very similar story to you where I just loved Laracast.com. And that's how I discovered Vue.js through Laracast, gradually got integrated into Laravel. So very similar story to you. And I actually happen to be 30 years old as well. So <laughs> that weird. But what's, what's really interesting to me here is that Jeffrey Way and Taylor Otwell, so Taylor's the creator of Laravel for those who didn't know that, they seem to be using Vue in this way. They use it as kind of like sprinkles in their application. As far as I know, they don't really use it in an SPA way. And they've even got stuff like like Livewire that they're kind of sort of pushing to the front lines there where Livewire is not really an SPA. I don't know if that's what you would call it. It's kind of more making things reactive sort of after the fact. So I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting how a lot of people are sort of pushing in that SPA direction, even in the Laravel community when Jeffrey Way and Taylor Otwell himself seem to not really use it in an quote-unquote SPA kind of way. Yeah, that, that's pretty true. Uh, the, and that's why I don't even understand why people want to do SPA so much because just like you said, Laravel uses Vue more like really like small parts. And that's how two initiatives came like Livewire, like you just said, which uh, which is for me one of the biggest innovation in the backend world for that I've seen for a long time. So Livewire is kind of like, just like you said, making 
reactivity, but between front end and back end. So it's yeah, it's not an SPA framework yet. I, I don't even know how we can call it. It's kind of like a, a hybrid framework between the front end and the back end. Maybe something similar to Meteor JS, I would say. I don't know how to call it, but it's really a very great stuff, which was easy, which made easier for back backend developers to make Ajax requests and stuff like that. It's really great. And later on, there was inertia, inertia. I don't, yes. I don't know. yes, let's talk inertia. I love inertia. Yeah, inertia, yeah. yes, which came later on and which kind of was the same. Before inertia, they didn't have any router. And then they brought the router progressively, but still uses the backend router, which I found really great. Those two technologies on Laravel, inertia and Livewire, shows how the possibility you can do with only, without making an SPA and still have something very, uh, reacting very modern and, and stuff so i don't know really i don't really know why people do so much spas i, I don't really understand yeah, i'm looking i'm trying to remember the name of the the laravel project that has that uses inertia it's got a name yeah inertia is the bomb i've interviewed jonathan reinick on javascript jabber and i still keep in touch with him now and then and the way it works with laravel is is so cool because basically what happens is he uses http headers to intercept requests from the front end pass them to the Laravel backend, all without a page refresh. And then you just use straight Laravel on the backend, you know, as you normally would for querying your data and, and getting, and all you do is in your controller, instead of using your normal Laravel stuff, you use a, a thing called inertia render and you pass it the name of the view template. And so whatever data you've built up in your eloquent model and your controller, you pass to your view template as a prop and then you can do whatever he the heck you want with it on the back end. But it's really slick. And he's just added, he's, I know that he's just added some SSR stuff. He's got a new release that's coming out that's got some of that stuff in it too. I'm trying to get him set up to come on one of the podcasts. But yeah, I love it. I'm really, like I said, I'm working on on using that on some of my own projects just as a as a cool way to be able to use Vue with a back end that I have control over as compared to using an online CMS, Contentful, but you know whatever so it's it's yeah, really yeah. and for someone especially it's it's good for me who's someone who's familiar with php and mysql and all those interactions and and doesn't want to go have to learn node or dino or or a javascript backend just to be able to have a backend yeah i just wanted to throw in some few points for me i have experienced working with spas with Vue. i've also experienced using Vue as just building component okay but in terms of my own preference, I would still feel that using Vue as SPA for me is more flexible because it gives you total control of your front end and it's in one single framework instead of combining. Because from my experience, when I was working with Vue.js as just using it for components, it was with Laravel and the, app the application was initially built with Blade we are now integrating components, Vue.js components into Bleed templates. Okay, so for me, it was a little bit confusing to manage the two. So I feel just building out your SPA with one particular Vue.js framework and then setting up your backend with PHP or Laravel, it's, for me, it's flexible that way. I'm trying to combine components and Vue.js, yeah. I think it actually, I mean, it really depends on two things, I would say. It depends first on the kind of the kind of project, uh, because of course there are some projects where I would be telling people to do SPAs over just using a 
a backend template or something because the project would be more SPA appropriate. Let's say that's in this way. There are many kinds of projects that are more appropriate for SPAs. And there are other ones where making an SPA, I mean, making a full uh, client-side rendering is overkill. I mean, that's in my sense. So it, it kind of depends on the project itself. And the second thing, which would be, which is your case, is that it depends also on your on your skills and your developer experience. If you feel it's more uh, comfortable for you, of course, it's better to just use Vue for to make a full SPA. It really depends on develop, the, the developer experience. And that's why I feel like Vue is very, very flexible as a framework because you can use it in the way you want. That's that's really a great thing I love about it, is that you can yeah. use it in different kind of ways. Yeah, you, you are correct there. It depends on the person, and it also depends on the experience. Now, one thing I love about your article is the part where you can use Vue to build out a mini, you call it mini site on WordPress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That part is that part is wow because I haven't I haven't thought or I haven't seen it before. I have used Vue as an SPA, which is your third point, as an SPA with WordPress. But the part where you use it as a mini site and even as a component, I noticed you you wrote that as a component inside WordPress is also very great. So it's something I'm going to try out this week if I have the chance. Yeah, for sure. So for those listening who maybe didn't read the article, so I was saying that we can use Vue also to create a, a mini site existing in a current website. So in like it, you can do it in really, really any website, which the technique is pretty, I would say, pretty simple on the concept. The concept relies on the fact that a website is just different URLs, so different routes. And in each route, if your uh, backend language is the one rendering, on any route, you can decide to render a script tag which doesn't exist in the other routes. So the goal is to render a script tag with your SPA files only in a specific route on your on your website or web app or whatever, and use the uh, view router and just change the base URL Either you have many ways to do that. Either you tell the base URL to be as to have as base the current URL that you have, or you just use the hash mode. So the hash mode will make the router just add a hash in the URL, which makes that if you navigate in your mini site, it will never leave this page. It will only leave in the current route, in the current backend route. And uh, I often use that technique to create WordPress plugins. Uh, I mean, complex plugins where it had complex interfaces and I didn't want to use the, the WordPress functions because it was it wasn't meant to create I would say uh, flexible interfaces for plugins. It was initially created for people who had I mean kind of standard uh, plugins, just a bunch of fields and stuff. And with that uh, with that technique you can just create a small SPA that lives only in one single URL of an existing website. And uh, what was funny is that uh, some like a week ago or something Someone that wanted to work with me on a project told me he used this technique to on his uh, current WordPress website, but on the front end, he needed to create like a mini, I don't know how we can call that in English, I guess a, uh, a funnel, I think that's a, the term, a sales funnel for his, uh, he has like a, a, a airplane flight marketplace. And in just a specific page, he wants to show like a multi-step funnel to book your plane. And all that was Vue.js in the mini website that only existed on that URL. 
And all the rest of the website was just marketing pages, which, which I found really interesting to use that way. And of course, you can do it with, I think you can do it with React or, or anything because the, the goal is just loading in a specific page the scripts of your SPA and just make it mount on that specific URL. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I'm actually using a similar yeah. technique on a, a client project where we're loading the page in PHP in the back end and then rendering a view component you know, or a set of components, really, to build the experience for that page. But the, the general template for the page, like navigation, and things like that, are all handled by PHP in a template. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes real sense. Do you have a step-by-step -step guide on how you implemented the mini site? Because that's really interesting. I just want to get into it immediately. So do you, do you have a step-by-step -step guide on how you implemented the mini site on WordPress with you? So that's actually what's, that's actually detailed in, in my WordPress and Vue course. I guess I'll, at, at some point when I have time, I'm going to write an article about this specific uh, point. I don't know when yet, <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I'm going to write an article about that at some point. But for now, it's in my uh, WordPress plus Vue course. And that course is the uh, using Vue.js and WordPress, seven clean ways to do it. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, so I explained very, uh, I explained seven different ways to use Vue within WordPress. I mean, with and within WordPress. And uh, this, this one, so the mini site is one of them. Of course, we, we talk about also using it as uh, using the WordPress API as a REST API and create separate SPA. Uh, we talk about renderless components and stuff like that. Yeah, this course looks very interesting. I appreciate that in, in the description for it, you have, a, have an entire section. Why should you even use WordPress? It's not sexy. Because that, I mean, that's a lot of people's first reaction when they hear WordPress. At least, uh, <laughs> at, like on the, on the Twitter communities around, front end development right now someone mentions wordpress I'm like ew why would i use <laughs> wordpress that's that's old and i'm like but it's good it's still around uh, exactly there's, there's a reason it's taken over so much of the web like it has it's not it's not by chance yeah i am so guilty of this at work we use wordpress for the main site well, it was already there before i even arrived and they were successfully using it to show customers what they can do and it was working really well. And so I came in as this, you know, fancy new developer who's like, oh, we don't need any of this WordPress stuff. And then looked into like how the different things that we had with Laravel. And then I discovered Statamic. And I'm like, no, this is going to be really cool because you'll be able to, you know, create your own content. And we could just like, I can make anything look exactly how you want it to look. Whereas it's like hard with WordPress because you have to do theming and stuff or like, dig deeper into the code and now I can use Tailwind when I'm using this and after like a couple of weeks of playing around with that I'm like no nah, just use WordPress <laughs> so, this is not a great use of my time WordPress is so simple everybody already knows how to use it anyway so yeah learned my lesson there and I'm a little bit wiser now for it yeah it's, it's kind of the same thing for me see, is that at some point when when I started doing fancy stuff with Laravel I was like oh WordPress it's shit and it's not flexible and a lot of stuff. Then what happened was that 
I was, so I was young, <laughs> young and foolish at the time. Uh, what happened was that I then discovered that you have different type of customers and, and each customer doesn't have the, the time nor the money for you to recreate everything and recreate a backend yourself, a back office yourself, I mean, or something. And sometimes WordPress just does the trick extremely well. And it's, and if it's still there, like, uh, Lindsay said, uh, before is that it's because it works. And even now, just for regular, for the Mac marketing websites, usually I don't even code anymore for most of the projects I do. I just make the marketing website with WordPress and, uh, and the visual builder called Elementor. And, and I create uh, custom components in those, in those pages with view if I need to. And then I just create the, uh, the view. If I have a, a regular web app or something, I just create it on a subdomain because the marketing website and the real app, I mean, they can be on two separate domains and it doesn't change anything. Most of the people just go to the marketing website the first time. And later on, you can just continue. They can just go back to the real, your real app that you make with WordPress, uh, with a Laravel API or I don't know what or some, uh, or anything you want. Actually, there are some use cases where using things like Strapi is good when you really want something very custom on the front end and you still want to have a content manager. I feel like using Strapi or Contentful is nice, but a lot of times also, I feel like the regular customer, which doesn't have a startup or anything, feels like Strapi is less user-friendly to create content than WordPress, for example. I guess it's also just a matter of uh, preference at that point. But yeah, I think it really depends on the project and the customer type you have in front of you, the, the end users, I mean, the end users of the, of the back office. Yeah, this is such a great point. I remember having a similar experience where um, one of the first projects I built was kind of like a Pomodoro type of timer thing with Vue.js. And I wanted to build a landing page for that using Vue.js as well, just because that was a technology I was playing around with at the time. And I wanted to sort of like handle all of the marketing stuff all in Vue. But later on, I like, I like to use ClickFunnels for marketing-related stuff. And the fact that I can do split tests, by the way, I'm not an affiliate or anything. The fact that I can do split tests, I can do upsells, downsells. I can just duplicate the site with a click of a button. You can accept different payment methods. You can have order bumps. You can basically do any of this kind of stuff and integrate it pretty easily with your app using something like Zapier or into Gromit, whatever you want to use. Like it's just, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer to just use a tool like that to, to handle like funnel type stuff, to handle like more of your marketing type strategies, unless it needs to be hyper-custom and hyper-specific to your needs. It seems kind of nuts to try and reinvent that entire wheel yourself. And then you lose all of that functionality. Like split testing is really, really hard especially if you want to do like, you know, different percentages and like integrate it with your analytics tools and get the full story there. So yeah, I don't know. That's just like really strikes a chord with me where this is a classic example of right tool for the job, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a perfect example is that and, and what you said is right. It's you don't need to reinvent the wheel for things that especially are kind of hard to recreate. So something, something like split test or order bumps or things like that for the sales parts, which are most of the time not the most, I would say, I wouldn't say the, it's not the most important stuff, but it's not the, the most, the part where you want to give the most time of your skills. You want to focus on the real app that happens after the person buys your app or your subscription or anything. So yeah, 
ClickFunnels is, so I don't use ClickFunnels, but I use some kind of similar alternatives, some French alternatives. And yeah, uh, it's perfect for the job, whether it's ClickFunnels, WordPress, I don't know, LaunchRock or any kind of uh, page builder or a funnel builder. The marketing most of the time has already great tools for that. And I, and sometimes, yeah, I think I think as developers, we like recreating stuff. You know, we're like, oh, it's, it's fancy. Let's just recreate the landing page and I'll make something very custom and and you see in the end that you spent a lot of time on that uh, subject where it, it doesn't bring the most value to the user or to the customer. And sometimes you need to, we need to know uh, where to put the value on. But of course, there are still some times where I guess making the marketing websites with Vue.js or any front-end technology makes sense, especially when your marketing website has really, really specific, I would say, interactions. That's where it makes sense. For example, like if you have specific forms, really complicated forms with a, I don't know, with a calculator because you want to calculate, I don't know, flight stuff or I don't know what, there it could make real sense to have a, a really uh, marketing website made with Vue.js or Nuxt or Next.js or something. Putting on my full um, sarcasm hat for just a moment. I don't know what you're talking about with developers wanting to build their own tools and recreate things over and over. <laughs> By the way, I'd like to introduce my new JavaScript framework. It's called Nuejs. It's based on Vue. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense that developers, we go through a phase where it sounds really fun to rebuild everything. And clearly we, we have the right answers because we have this power as developers to create applications. And eventually we get over that hump and say, actually, the solutions that were made are good and we don't need to recreate those. I, I think that's spot on. Yeah. One, one final question I have is we're getting close to time. We've talked a bit about how there's this, you know, there's these different ways of using Vue. And I think for me, like mo- most of us here, I think came from a backend language and then came into Vue or something else and was like, oh, cool. I know we can do some reactive stuff with my backend ren- rendering. I, my guess is a lot of developers are coming in from, ooh, I can make a reactive application. Now, how do I get data? And that's why that's why they go the, the Vue CLI or the SPA route. What would you recommend, Ariel, to to one of these developers who wants to take that other perspective and kind of turn turn the world upside down and look at it from a back-end perspective, rendering some reactive content? What would be the first step? So the first step would the first question I would say would really be is the end website or web app, does it need to be SEO friendly? I guess that's maybe one of the biggest questions because depending on the answer, you wouldn't use Vue or or React or any, or any frontend framework the same way in your backend templates. In one way, you would just create really isolated components and and just put them where you need them to be. Like you need a you need a slider, create your slider in a JS file or a Vue file, compile it, put the the script tag where you need it, and just put your HTML tag where you need it. That's the first way of doing it. The other way would really be identify the places where you know you need to mix both data and content from the backend and your view stuff. And the two way I recommend to do that is render uh, renderless components or just a bare instance. You know, just a bare instance you would create without any components, just just the instance itself, because the instances and renderless components are the only ways you can pass templates from the backend. I mean, with Vue 3, because with Vue 2, you had, I think you had uh, inline templates, that's how it was called, but now Vue 3 doesn't have it anymore, uh, but you still have just a bare instance that would just plug and hydrate an existing HTML, 
or renderless components. So I really, really think, ask yourself, does your backend need SEO or not? And then create your component in the way you want, CLI or not CLI, compile it to really separate files and inject the files in the pages you need. I think the real power of using this way is that you don't create a big bundle that you need to load every time in each page. You can just load in, in the, pay, the necessary pages, the components you use in that page, and that's all. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of this. And I know I'm going to start exploring this more so I can I can better explain it to people because this is, this is definitely a topic I feel is very poignant right now to discuss. I got a question for you, Ariel. A slightly different thread here, but that's how I roll. So I'm looking at your blog that you keep on Medium, you know, and you've got a, yep. looks like you published a decent amount. And every post begins with one of two words, either yes or actually. So yes, this is how to use Vue.js with WordPress in three, we- three unique ways. Or let's see. Oh, anyway, not actually. Anyway. Anyway, stop recommending bazookas to kill flies in programming. Love that title anyway. By the way, that, <laughs> that, that was a great title. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, it certainly paints a picture in your mind. So I'm just curious why you chose to start that pattern. Is it just something to make it unique or because it comes across, it sounds to me like, all right, people, everybody's asking me a question. So yes, this is how you do it or something. Is it just sort of something to differentiate your titles, make them stand out? Or is there a story behind using those two words to start all your posts? So it's actually come from the two things you said. So the, the first thing was that when I started blogging, I when I anytime I start a kind of project, so blogging for me is one of them. But anytime I start a kind of project, I try to learn a bunch of stuff about the the about the thing itself to know how to do it better. And one of the uh, tips I read about blogging was that you need to create your own style. And because I'm not a uh, English native speaker, I thought, okay, I have to find something in the title, in the, you know, in the beginning, I need to create interest and to make people remember my articles. So I, th- I thought, okay, let me just use one word in the beginning of each, each titles. I'll just use the same word every time. And then what happened was that usually the articles I write, the ideas come from uh, Facebook posts, I see. So Facebook questions. And I start looking at the answers. And at some point, when I see, you know, all kinds of answers that always say, uh, I would say the obvious answer, uh, but without, without looking at the real question. So people always give, I mean, usually give absolute answers, you know, like they'll say, Oh, uh, hello. I want to use a, like, a, I want to create a project. What backend framework should I use? And someone will just come and say, Oh, use Laravel. And that's all. And there's, there's no arguments for that uh, answer. And at some point, I started answering and saying, yes, you can use Laravel, but you can do this anyway. And that's how it came. And I just first started with anyway. And the thing is that I had a lot of haters saying I was too arrogant because people thought I was using that word to be arrogant. Like, anyway, this is how you do this. Anyway, you guys are dumb. This is how you should do it. And that was not the case. <laughs> it wasn't to be arrogant. It was just to give, you know, like a kind of a, a kind of, I wouldn't say icebreaker, but a kind of a, a big impression, you know, a big, a big move so that people would, would uh, remember the title. So I changed it then to yes, because yes seemed less arrogant and more like I'm answering to a question. Like if you, if you would ask me, Oh, can I use Vue to in WordPress? And I would say like, Oh, yes, these are seven ways to use Vue in WordPress, something. So that, that's how it, it, that's how I chose the title. Yeah, I think that if Lindsay were to follow your pattern of blog gaming, he would start every blog post with so, or she would start everything with so, because it's always 
So how's this? We've talked about this before on the podcast, and I know because I do the same thing in all of my emails, and I have to go back and edit about 10 so's out of the beginnings of <laughs> so, my sentences. So what are you paragraphs. saying? <laughs> exactly. There you go. That was perfect. That was very good, Lindsay. I, I like that. That was good. Yeah, uh, so when it, go, when, it comes to, when it comes to writing, every every writer has their voice. Every writer is not supposed to write for all the audience. So they choose the specific people they talk to, just related with their own voices. So actually, I read the blog post, and it it was like a code mail where you <laughs> where you point out something, you answer, it, you show where you use it, and then you answer, you tell the person how to use it. So it makes really sense, and it's clear in terms of readability to make the users to stick to the end how you write so i really enjoy it and i think i will copy your style <laughs> <laughs> thank you i'm really happy to hear that great thank you so much ariel for coming on the show and talking about all this with us well so in the middle of a sentence is different than so at the beginning of a sentence so oh, i think I, it's I, all I, right <laughs> I'm, I'm just i'm just so keyed in on it right now I'm there you go See, there so you go. i say Good example. There you go. But my sister used to be um used to get so excited about things. Her sentence would start with oh oh. <laughs> like, oh Love it. Oh oh oh. And she like she couldn't get her words out because she was too busy like making excited sounds. So that's her word. Oh. <laughs> so that's her word. Great. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top five percent of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. So at this point, we'll move on to picks. And picks are the part of the show where we share things with you that we like, don't have to be programming related. Today, I will start with... Solomon. Solomon, do you have a pick for us today? No, I don't. <laughs> All right, we will move on. Uh, Luke, <laughs> what is your pick for us today? Yeah, there's a couple I wanted to mention because I feel like they might be somewhat related to what we talked about today. The first one is Petite View. And I don't know a lot about this yet. And honestly, I haven't even had the chance to look at it, but it's built by Evan. And basically, it is a smaller alternative to View. And he's even got in here, use this at your own risk. There could be bugs and stuff, but I think it's definitely something worth checking out. It looks like he's basically trying to make a an alternative if you don't need to have like all of the magic that Vue has to offer. This kind of smaller version that has a very similar API to Vue, or it looks like that the whole API is the same. Um, it's only five kilobytes inside and yeah, it's a subset of Vue. So that's definitely worth checking out, Petite Vue. Another one is Alpine JS, and the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people in the Laravel community are starting to use, are starting to take on Alpine instead of Vue.js. And once again, I think it's just good to know what alternatives are available out there. If you're familiar with Vue, then Alpine will make a lot of sense to you. So, uh, yeah, those are my two picks: uh, Petite View and Alpine. I don't know if any of you guys wanted to add anything on top of Alpine because I don't have a lot of experience with it, but I thought it was worth mentioning and. I will say that we just interviewed Caleb Porzio on JavaScript Jabber 
a couple weeks ago and uh, it's not out yet. I actually got into to come on the show and then I ended up being gone. So I wasn't able to be there for that particular interview, but it'll probably be out judging on the schedule by the end of August, I think. But yeah, they talked to him all about, uh, all about Alpine. Yes. I've used, I've, I've used Alpine in the past on a small project. It's really nice to work with. And I think, I think it's nice that you picked Alpine and Petite View here because they kind of go in the same space. Their intent is to be kind of inline sprinkling of JavaScript component. And then you don't need to worry about the full view uh, single file component, or you don't need to worry about an entire application. You're just putting in the JavaScript in that one little place, kind of like how with Tailwind, you're able to put in a CSS utility class and just inject some style somewhere. So funny that you mentioned that. I'm looking at the readme on GitHub for Petite View, and there's a section there on the comparison of Alpine. And it says the Petite View is indeed addressing a similar scope to Alpine, but aims to be one, even more minimal, and two, more view compatible. So there's a, a few bullet points listed in the readme about how they compare. Yeah, in the, it's really in the, the same sense as, as of what we were talking in the beginning, which is using a front-end framework, but in the back-end, like in a regular template, whether it's backend or just static HTML, uh, that's what uh, that's what Alpine JS uh, tries to solve, and that's what Petit View is solving too. And what's really interesting is that for the short story, I don't know if that's how it happened. With uh, so I forgot who, who created the Alpine. I forgot his name, Caleb, I think. Caleb, yeah, uh, Caleb Porzio. Yeah, uh-huh. Caleb Porzio. I don't know if that's where he took it from, but Alpine's way of injecting the data is actually how AngularJS did at the beginning. AngularJS had something called ng-init, which you could use to just create some uh, data in the scope of that of the HTML tag, of the current HTML tag, and then you could use some uh, ng-if, ng-v4, and all those kind of stuff. So yeah, it's really, really interesting. And it's just like Tailwind, it's a really declarative way uh, to do stuff, uh, which is more maintainable than having uh, a bunch of jQuery or vanilla JS imperative, you know, functions that are separated from your from your templates. So it's really a yeah, it's really the way to go, I think, for micro interactions. That it's especially for this kind of micro interactions like drop downs, uh, uh, really really easy slideshows or uh, FAQ or all those uh, accordion stuff. Anything that toggles, actually. Yeah, since we've been talking about all this kind of stuff, I can imagine people might be a little bit confused by the end of this podcast. Like, here's a whole bunch of cool ideas. I don't know what to sort of pluck out. So you might want to check out a website, tallstack.dev. A lot of the stuff we're talking about goes into, you've heard of things like, I don't know, Jamstack and what are the other ones? There's a bunch of them out there. There's, but basically, mean. I think there's a peanut butter stack too, if I'm oh, not mistaken. I could be wrong. A jelly stack. Yeah. And anyway, the tall stack, which is using Powerwind, which is less relevant to what we're talking about, Alpine JS, Laravel, and Livewire kind of like is kind of like all the bits and pieces of what we were talking about today. So people might want to check out tallstack.dev. Dang, this is interesting. Pick number three. Yeah, no, it's been interesting. <laughs> I'll stop now. Too many picks. May need a new episode just to keep talking about this. I like how you <laughs> use that Laravel. Uh, you threw the Laravel language in there with the pluck. Like <laughs> something else, Luke. That was that was good. Did I miss Great. a joke? You pluck is pluck. an actual method. It's a Laravel method when yeah. you're oh. querying your database to get one specific item based on a on a piece of criteria. Yeah. I was yeah. just watching Laracast about this last night. That's how I remember it. So that's yeah, a collection method. Yeah. 
Yeah, as collection, and I think I, you're in. I abuse Pluck. If there's like one collect, I, I remember using Lodash, and Lodash doesn't have Pluck, and it annoyed the crap out of me. Then I realized mapping Lodash is Pluck. So if you're using Lodash, and here we go, pick number four. Nice one, Luke. If you're using Lodash and you want to Pluck something, just use Map and just pass through the string of the thing that you need to Pluck. And pick number 50 billion. If you're going to use Lodash, use Lodash ES if you can. All right, I'm done. Promise. <laughs> Famous last words. I've heard that somewhere before in the past few minutes. If something comes up, take it back. It's fine. Ariel, do you have a pick for us today? Yeah. So the previous pick was about programming. So I'll try to not talk about programming too. So um, yeah, the thing is I I almost only do programming in my life. (laughs) So it's it's hard. But I'll I'll be talking about, I think, uh, marketing, I would say. So the second thing I do a lot except programming is marketing. So a recent thing I saw, which would be really interesting, would be, yeah, would be some SEO tips I would give. Recently, I mean, some time ago, I discovered in SEO that uh, there are really three three kind of headlines that work a lot. So headlines that start by questions, and you can actually check the type of questions people are searching for on Google by starting, you know, to put a word and to put a star. You know, like, uh, I don't know if store is the word for that character, but, you know, like the kind of multiplication character, the store or something. So you can just write like how, store, and let's say uh, internet. And you will see like all the suggestions people type when they want to know how to do something on the internet, for example. So that's a pretty, pretty nice way to, to see a suggestions uh, that people are searching and use those things as a blog post, a blog title or uh, page titles for your FAQ or things like that. It works better in SEO. What could I say? The two other things are uh, writing numbers in SEO works a lot. So for example, if you want to, if you have a tutorial website and you want to write about, you want to write a, a title tag where you say all oh, the best tutorials about JavaScript, you would, it's better for, for Google idea search engine to write something like the 30 best JavaScript tutorials, for example. Numbers really work a lot. And the third one would be writing dates. Dates work really, really a lot. Like uh, when it's relevant, of course. For example, it's the beginning of the year. You know you want to write about, I don't know, uh, WordPress. If you if your article says something like uh, five things to know in two thousand uh, five WordPress, uh, five WordPress things to know in 2022, it works really better than just writing five things to know in WordPress, for example. So yeah, these are my uh, three SEO tips. Yeah, I could really, really relate to this. Just for an example, what you just said now has been my approach on mastering backend. And I think in the first three months, I was able to record 100,000 impressions from, from Google alone, just using these tips that you've listed out. Yeah, it really works better. I, I think it's it works better because people are more... I mean, that's only my own analysis of this, but I think it's because when there's a date, people feel it's more, the info is more fresh. And when there are some numbers, it kind of breaks, it kind of stands out in the results. For example, if you see uh, just uh, JavaScript tutorials and uh, best JavaScript tutorials, and, and just then you see something like 10 very good JavaScript tutorials, the 10 kind of stands out from the other titles. So you see it, you see it better, I would say. So yeah, yeah, of course, I've tried those also on my programming blog, and uh, I have another blog about Japan, and uh, it's it works kind of kind of well. 
Excellent. Thank you. So I will go next and let Steve get the final word with his, his pick. So my first pick is a shameless plug. I was on an episode of the Modern Web Podcast with Richard Feldman, uh, where we got to discuss Elm, the Elm programming language, which is, if you haven't heard already, my favorite programming language. So you should definitely check out that episode where we talked about Elm and the benefits of functional programming and using a functional language in the front end as opposed to view. <gasps> I said it. <laughs> there is a less shameless plug. This is for a friend. Coworker of mine has been putting together a side project that is ready to share with the world. It's called Books Bank. The intent is to be a repository, books that you can borrow and share with people around you in your community. So you can put up the books that you have and you can search for books that are nearby you and meet up with people to, to do an exchange. So a really nice way to, to share what you enjoy reading and find new things to read as well. And on the note of reading, I'm saying this one early compared to last year. If you haven't, if you are interested in reading or writing and you'd like an opportunity to write a novel yourself, there's a project called NanoRimo or National Novel Writing Month, nanorimo.org. The intent is to put together a 50,000 word book within the, the time of November. So you're, you're able to sign up. You're able to join a group. You're able to record your progress as you're writing and just get the support you need to, to accomplish it. And the intent isn't to write the next great novel in the world. It's just to have fun and to explore your creativity. And then once you've written that first draft, they also can support you with editing and tips on how to get it published. But that's not really the, the main focus. The main focus is just to explore creativity and write. So I'm saying it now rather than at the start of November because episodes come out a few weeks after we record. Last year, I said, hey, it's National Novel Writing Month at the beginning of November. And then the episode came out after November. So it wasn't really helpful. Enough. This time, I'm trying to avoid that. So those are my picks. And I will pass over to Steve so he can say the final pick of the day. So that reminds me, you're talking about novel writing. One of my favorite things I like to look at is the Bulwer Lytton Fiction Contest. You know what I'm talking about? It's the contest where you try to come up with the absolute worst opening sentence known to man. And they... they that sounds it, fun. It, oh, it's hilarious. So like, for instance, it's B-U-L-W-E-R-L-Y-T-T-O-N.com. And it started in 1982. Challenge participants to write an atrocious opening sentence to a hypothetical bad novel. So for instance, and I guess this would be my pick for the day. You inspired me. So like the 2020 grand prize winner says, her dear John missive flapped unambiguously in the windy breeze, hanging like a pizza menu on the doorknob of my mind. So there's uh yeah, if you go look at the bulwerlitten.com, they have the list of previous winners as well. There's some pretty funny ones in there. And they're just horrendous. And now we are at the high point of the podcast. I know I've heard, personally heard from people that listen to the entire podcast just to hear this part. So my dad jokes of the day, of the week, actually. And this first one, I think, is going to be a little more humorous for maybe the British and I think the Australian speakers among us. And you'll understand once I say it. So, Luke, what do you call a short mother? Any ideas? I don't know. A minimum. So mom for mom. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. And then, so I actually have a friend at church who used to be a professional race car driver. I think he drove a NASCAR. And when I first met him, uh, I asked him, I said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I race cars. I said, oh, do you win many races? And he said, no, the cars are much faster. So anyway, those are the uh, <laughs> Steve's jokes a, of the week. Got a golf <laughs> clap on that one. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. I could I could see why why people wait for that moment. Yes, it's like uh, it's it's sort of a what's the term? Where you cause pain to yourself? Not sadistic, but masochistic. There you go. Masochistic. You know? masochistic wait just to hear the joke so you can groan well awesome ariel yeah. where can people find you to continue this conversation either about view or wordpress or any of these topics so you can find me on my twitter i don't post so much but i i often go there uh so the twitter is maison futari so yeah in one word uh maison futari or my you can just follow my medium blog which i post i, I don't really have a i think a uh, i don't really have a, a rhythm uh, it really depends on the topics I find which are interesting. I don't really like writing about things where I don't have a new, I mean, a new point of view than other had already have. So yeah, <laughs> there's no rhythm, but you can follow it. I think I try to post at least three or four articles uh, per year. No pun intended, right? The different point of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> but I think it's, it was a nice, a nice pun, but it wasn't intended. So yeah, my blog. And uh, the last thing would be my uh, courses. You can check my check out my courses. There's also a newsletter, so I, I send a newsletter one one each month. I would say something like that. So yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Excellent, thank you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. It was a great time for me too. A pleasure. Hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you want to hear more from us, you can find us at Views on View on Twitter or at viewsonview.com. You can also find us on devchat.tv. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. You can find Steve on Twitter at Wonder95. You can find Luke on Twitter at Luke Diebold. And you can find Solomon on Twitter at Kapersky Guru. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day and see you again next week. Adios. Goodbye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.